0: All right, back on Young Turks. A number of great guests for you guys today. Up next is Bart Campolo. He was a Christian evangelical minister, and he turned into a humanist chaplain. What is a humanist chaplain, and why did he let go of religion after three decades? And then after that, Rokana in for an important interview about progressives versus Democratic leadership. So a good amount of drama coming up a little bit later in this hour. Now. Joining me is Heidi Peace, she is CEO and co-founder of Los Angeles Blockchain Lab. So Heidi, welcome.
1: Thank you. Uh,
0: All right, um, before I even get to what Los Angeles Blockchain Lab is, let's go way more fundamental than that. Uh, So uh, Bitcoin versus (laughs) blockchain, what? Right,
1: right, (laughs) right, exactly. So uh, I love the blockchain space cuz sometimes we use the same word for multiple. Things And Bitcoin is actually two things, Bitcoin is a digital currency, Uh we can use it similar to other currencies to buy and sell goods, and we can use it to invest in, like people invest in dollars or the yen. Bitcoin is also one of many blockchain protocols, which is the underlying technology on which the cryptocurrency is built.
0: Okay, so that's not at all confusing. Okay, um, I know, I know. <laughs> I actually feel better about uh, being confused about it uh, now that I know it's two different things. Yes. Uh, so, um, blockchain. Let's talk about that. So that's the underlying yes. infrastructure for that allows these cryptocurrencies to exist.
1: Exactly. So. The definition that I come across very often is blockchain is a decentralized, distributed, immutable digital database that uses cryptography to secure transactions. The, no wonder know, what, right? Nobody's yeah, going to understand that.
0: That's like saying it's gobbly gook, gook Ab- gobbly gook, right? right. Like, uh, okay.
1: Absolutely. So, what so does that mean? So, maybe in what English. it could do is just explain what it solves um, okay. that might make the most sense. So, today in the digital world, we have a trust issue. If you wanted to send me a dollar to buy a product and there were no middlemen like banks or large e-commerce sites, how would I trust that the dollar you send to me is a real dollar? And Mm -hmm. how would you trust that the product I send to you is I'm being honest and I'm actually going to send it to you? You can't.
0: Right, so if I'm buying a toaster on eBay,
1: yeah.
0: how do I know you're gonna send me the toaster? Exactly. And how do you know I'm sending you 10 real dollars rather than a bunch made of zeros okay. and ones that are made up?
1: Exactly. And okay. the only way today to ensure that transaction is by using middlemen like a bank or Amazon. Right, so right Amazon, that makes sense, okay, anyways, okay. you haven't lost me <laughs> okay, good, good, okay, okay, all right. Good. Uh-huh. So these companies, these organizations, these middlemen use databases in the form of a ledger to validate these transactions and ensure that they are completed. So the ledger, you know, the date, this date happened, this is the product, this is the amount, and it was done. The problem is, these digital ledgers are also now susceptible to being hacked or making mistakes or even manipulating that data. Mm -hmm. The other issue is, these institutions, when they record these transactions, they're only recording a snapshot of what happened in their organization, so you don't Mm -hmm. have the full story. So that takes me back to 2008. A lot of transactions that happened were missing data and lack of transparency, which I think was one of the big reasons which resulted in 2008.
0: So all right. Good. So yep.
1: we're good. Okay, I so like enter- how you look at
0: me every once in a while, <laughs> have I lost the knucklehead <laughs> no, no, yet? no, okay, no, no, all no.
1: Right. I, I don't have an engineering background, so this took me a while. Okay. Um, so enter blockchain. Blockchain mm-hmm. does a couple of things. Blockchain changes this whole concept of individual companies or organizations managing that ledger. And instead, allows for a group ledger. So think of a ledger in the sky. And mm-hmm. anyone within this group, at uh, any time there's a transaction, anywhere within this group, that transaction will be recorded on this transaction or mm-hmm. on this ledger in the sky. And at any given time, somebody from within this group can look up or down or wherever and see in chronological order all of the transactions. This is important because what it does is it prevents the hiding. Of data and makes data transparent, and also if anyone's trying to do anything funky with that data, hopefully more eyeballs on it will prevent
0: that. Okay, so uh, I've got a couple of analogies. Number one, it's God because <laughs> that's the guy in the sky, uh, w- a guy in the sky with okay. a ledger, right? And, and or Santa Claus.
1: Ooh, I like Santa Claus. Uh,
0: okay, he's yeah. tracking who's been naughty and nice. That's another right. ledger. Oh, okay, good but in good slightly one. more serious. Um, Kind of Wikipedia for financial information?
1: Yeah, it can be, so, it, the, the, so there's a little bit more that goes into the explanation of it. But um, at the end of the day, what blockchain does is it helps uh, accountability and traceability. Mm-hmm. So And it makes the data. So you can't go back and modify the data, so I might get a little technical for a second. So basically, blockchain uh, has code, it's a very complicated code, Mm -hmm. and instead of these institutions running a ledger, it allows for computer processing units, hundreds of thousands of them around the world, to. they're the ones now who are actually ensuring and validating the data. Actually, you can use your own computer uh, and, and use this code to validate. And what happens then is once these transactions are approved, they're all lumped together into a block and chained or locked to a prior chain block of uh, approved transactions. So what this does, it makes it near impossible to go back and change any of the transactions because what it does is it totally mis- disrupts the, the sequence of the blocks that fall after.
0: okay. So I'm never, I've decided I'm never gonna understand that, okay, okay. so uh, let's move on to what it can do, okay? Sure. great. So a lot of people are excited because they're like, "Oh my God, this could change the world. And I'm yeah. like, uh, yeah. why, how? Yeah.
1: Right, so what this basically does is it gives us the opportunity to trust code instead of having to trust an institution to manage our data. What's the big deal? Well, if we can trust code and we don't have to trust institutions, why do we need a middleman like a bank anymore? Mm -hmm. And the thought of, wow, so this means we're gonna start conducting and transacting in a totally different way. And there are five things that I think of that really, there are many, many applications, but I'm really excited about five of them. One is the trust factor. If we can ensure trust, this could be revolutionary. So right now, in the United States, we vote using paper ballots, why? Mm-hmm. And not only that, but we can't even trust these. We have vote recounts, and there's a lot of distrust in, 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 uh, in our democracy. That's true. So imagine a country where if we use blockchain, you can now vote on your phone. It's super easy, and you can guarantee that that vote is protected. That could be revolutionary, especially in countries that are-
0: So again, I'm gonna ask really simpleton kind of questions here. Okay. How do we know the Russians can't hack blockchain?
1: Um, <clears throat> yes, well, I'm not. I'm not going to say it's hack-proof. It is hack-resistant, but it's this whole chain of transactions, uh, and it takes a lot of computer processing power to validate these transactions. If you go back in time and try to hack something, first of all, you got a whole bunch of eyeballs watching, mm-hmm. and so somebody's going to say, "Ah, oh, something funky is going on." Second, if you go back and try to hack something and change data that's occurred in the past. It's gonna mess up this whole chain of events that happens afterwards.
0: Mm-hmm. So it, you leave more fingerprints you, in, in oh, the crime that's scene. That's
1: a great, yeah, fingerprints, oh. pictures of your face, right. yeah, that's a well, great. So let's
0: get to that downside then. Uh, then can you still pro, uh, protect the secret ballot or can people maybe, and I know it's just one example you're using, sure, right? Sure, uh, sure. So would that be an issue, or are there other legitimate issues that people are concerned oh, about? there are
1: tons blockchain. of issues that are around blockchain. Uh, you know, again, there are uh, there are cases in which I don't want to say hacked, but data can be manipulated in blockchain. But they're hard; they're very, very hard to do. Uh, uh, but for now, it's the best technology to ensure uh, security, much better than the internet.
0: So how how can it lower barriers for people to do things that they couldn't have done before, right? So like for example, one of the things that the internet did and a lot of people are comparing blockchain to the beginning of the internet. Right, and right. so it's like the next level of it. So that's why I want to try to understand it. So the internet allowed us to do this show and beam it into your house or to your or to your phone without gatekeepers because in the old days, you needed billions of dollars to start up a TV network. Here, we just came and asked our audience, hey, can you guys give us a couple hundred thousand dollars to build a studio? They're like, sure, here you go. And voila, we're on the air. Yeah, yeah. And so, okay, can blockchain do that in in some respects?
1: Absolutely. So blocked, so the internet made it possible to transmit and transfer data or information pretty seamlessly and instantaneously. Blockchain will now allow us to transfer assets like currency without that middleman. So it's gonna reduce the cost. So one simple example is I tried to wire $100 internationally, it cost me $20 Mm -hmm. to wire that $100.
0: That's, that's not a not good a, deal,
1: right? <laughs> that's right. a really bad deal, and it's deal. because it's international. Yeah. And there's a lot of middlemen, and that's just not affordable for most people. And actually, this is something that Facebook's Libra Coin is hoping to address, and that is making digital transactions more affordable for all, and simplifying and providing a global currency, a global coin.
0: If Facebook and J.P. Morgan et cetera are jumping into this game, uh, two things: one, does that mean oh, it's super legit? Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. And and two, does that mean They're about to corrupt it. (laughs) Be careful of JP Morgan bearing gifts. There
1: is in the blockchain community a lot of discussion around this. I don't think there's one, uh, the whole community is for it and a lot are somewhat against it. However, it does legitimize blockchain and the use of blockchain, uh, definitely for sure. With that said though, there's still a lot of regulatory questions on how does this work and who's held accountable. I'm actually dealing that with that with my startup right now too. Um,
0: yeah. So I wanted to ask you about that before yeah. we are out of time. So what is the Los Angeles Blockchain Lab? What does it do?
1: Oh, the Los Angeles Blockchain Lab. I had a startup, and we wanted to use blockchain to disintermediate the banks. Mm-hmm. And when we went to hire developers, we couldn't find anybody. So I went back to the universities here in Los Angeles, and we founded the Los Angeles Blockchain Lab to help develop a pipeline of future developers and leaders in this space. So it's a collaboration of academia, government, and business.
0: Okay, and what is your startup?
1: My other startup, uh, POA, it is a social enterprise startup that it helps people who are running a project, it helps them develop and launch their projects by using a, a reward system that Provides more collaboration between project developers, advertisers, and patrons. Yeah.
0: All right. I think you're doing <laughs> a lot of good in the world, <laughs> even if I don't understand it completely. Um, LABlockchainLab.org. Uh,
1: yes,
0: uh, yes. So that's uh, where you can get more information. Heidi Peace, thank you for joining us. Appreciate oh, it.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Yeah, no problem. Uh, look, last thing on this, guys, I get that it's democratizing things and, and, in a sense, crowdsourcing, as you explained. And so I think that there's a lot of value in it, and that's why we have to keep having these conversations so that people like me can begin to catch up and understand the value of it.
1: Yeah, and now is the time for us to all jump in and, and be engaged. It shouldn't be reserved for members from the elite community. This is for everybody.
0: All right, sounds great. Thank, Thank you. Thank you
1: Thank you so much.
0: All right. Now, when we come <laughs> back, like I told you, a guy who's a minister for over 30 years, he goes, eh, now nah, it turns out that wasn't true, <laughs> okay, so it's a really interesting story. And now he's a, basically a non-believing chaplain at universities. How did that happen? And What does that mean? We'll find out when we come back. All right, back on the Young Turks. Uh, don't forget everybody, uh, we've got this uh, Aspiration Special uh, tomorrow, uh, expanded programming starts at noon Pacific, 3 o'clock Eastern on TYT.com. Obviously, uh, we're trying to entertain you guys and have some fun sumo wrestling uh, between me and Anna. And I think John might try to knock me down and that'll be fun, Uh, dunk tank, etc. And at the same time, uh, tell you guys about how to get financial independence. That would be obviously a win-win Or an aspiration.com slash TYT. All right, now, uh, we got a uh, fun guest for you guys. Joining me now is Bart Campalo. Uh Bart uh, was a minister, I think, for 30 years, uh, and then decided, nah. So uh, <laughs> now he's a humanist chaplain. So Bart, welcome. Thanks. Okay.
2: Good to meet you, man.
0: Good to meet you, brother. Uh, so I wanna get to what it means to be a humanist chaplain a little bit later, cuz that's what you are now. Sure. Uh, but first, let's start with how you became religious in the first place.
2: How I got religious in the first place. Yes. Well, I, I grew up the son of a famous evangelical preacher. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of grew up with it all around me. Um, but the truth of the matter is, that I didn't actually become a Christian myself until I was in high school. I got swept up in a mega church youth group when I was 15. So- and. Uh,
0: yeah, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry, but I mean, to interrupt, just I'm never quite clear on that because I didn't grow up Christian. So I don't know what you guys mean when you like, oh, I found Jesus. Like, all right, well, yeah. So, like, because yeah. like you grew up as a Christian, but then you're like not quite Christian enough until you're no, 15. No.
2: I grew up in a household where everybody believed in God except me. And, and my problem wasn't that I was this rebellious kid. It was just that like the whole God idea didn't make any sense to me. Um, but, you know, so when I'm in high school, I get a friend of mine asked me along to this youth group. and like, I was a really nice kid. And I walk into this room full of 300 of the nicest people you ever want to meet. It was like a club for nice people. And um And I love, you know, I I was really attracted to the community and the way they treated each other and everything. And, you know, you quickly figure out these are Christian kids. So, you know, like I sort of just went along for a little while, um, kind of going through the motions because I wanted to be part of that community. I wanted to be connected to those people. And then, you know, at some point you're up on a retreat, there's 300 kids, there's a campfire, everybody's singing, I love you, Lord. And I lift my voice and I felt something. You know, I can't you know it kind of I, I I sense something happening in the room, you know, like it and you know, I would explain it very differently now. But at that point, like, you know, I had I guess what you would call a transcendent moment, you know? I mean, yeah. and, and it's funny because like I hang around with secular people and they're like, what are you talking about? You don't even believe in God now. What? but but the thing is like if you I, I believe in transcendent moments. If you haven't had a transcendent moment, you just haven't been to the right rock concert or used the right drugs. No, I've been there, brother. Uh, And and, and so so whatever narrative that you're in when you have that experience, it validates it. And so I was in a Christian youth group, that was God, I was in.
0: Yeah, and so if you were on ecstasy, it might have been that ecstasy was God.
2: And if I had been in a mosque in Afghanistan, I would have become a Muslim.
0: Yeah, of course, of course. And so I think I largely get that. When I was younger, I was a little bit more spiritual, and I actually had those moments. I know exactly what you're talking about. And and so since since I was born into a Muslim family that wasn't particularly religious, kind of the opposite of you in a sense. When I had that transcendent moment, though, I didn't think like, oh, now I'm going to become Jewish or Buddhist or Hindu. I thought, well, okay, then Allah must be real. Right. Exactly to your point. And it's kind of convenient that you always find out
2: that the religion you were born into (laughs) is one, right? So And and the weird thing is, is that that. I wanted it to be true because that group offered me identity, a sense of mission, a sense of purpose. Like It really created structure around my young life.
0: Yeah, so I understand all that. Um, I'm gonna divert here for a second because you know you reminded me in high school, the evangelical kids that we had, I grew up in suburban New Jersey. We didn't have a lot of evangelical kids, but we had some and they were a community. And they were generally speaking the nicest kids in the school, it's true. Um, So, what happened to evangelicals? How did they go from the nicest kids in the school to these like Trump loving monsters who are like, keep the immigrants out, do not feed the hungry or the poor.
2: You know, I mean, I have my suspicion, I mean, one of the greatest things about being a post-Christian and getting out of that community is that I don't have to apologize for it anymore. You know, I don't have Mm -hmm. to explain how that makes sense cuz it doesn't make any sense. Um, And the truth of the matter is, like, if you hung with my father and the kind of Christians I grew up with, they're all horrified by that stuff. They're these progressive Christians who believe that God loves everybody, and and they don't have that kind of action going on. I I suspect that for what what happens is, is that there are some people that are attracted to Christianity for that community and that sense of purpose. And there are other people that are attracted for that certainty and that sense of, We've got the truth, and we're right, and you're wrong. And I think it's not a really, I don't think it's too many steps from from being desperate for that kind of certainty to really responding to a strong man who says, I alone can fix it.
0: Yeah, I I think that's exactly right, and and it didn't start with Trump, obviously. This turn happened in the 1970s. It it used to be that evangelical Christians were more like Jimmy Carter, and were more progressive. Uh, But authoritarian right wing leaders said, hey, they did this basically shell game. Hey, you remember how you believe in God, who's an authoritarian figure that tells you what to do? Hey, look, it's me now. I'm the authoritarian figure you should listen to, and I'm speaking for God, and I'm telling you that you should hate people.
2: And some of it was, you know, very, you know, like the evangelicals were really concerned about their religious exemptions from taxes and also about abortion. The Republican Party. Was like, hey, if we if we work with you on that, can you work with us on this? And I, I mean, I, I, it's it's a, it's an amazing it's a, an amazing metaphor, morphosis. But most of the evangelicals that I hung by the, you know, I, I passed through every stage of heresy on my way to apostasy. I mean, I, I, my theology kept changing all along the way. And by the time I left Christianity, the kind of Christians I was hanging around with, they they would they would want nothing to do with all this right wing craziness. These were people that just Thought that Jesus was calling him to love the poor.
0: Yeah, that's kind of crazy. What do they do? Read the Bible or something? Um, <laughs> so, so, but then, why did you leave Christianity?
2: Well, the thing is, is all the way through that, I, I, I guess I would say that, like, sort of, my faith died the death of a thousand cuts or the death of a thousand unanswered prayers. I mean, I was an inner city missionary working with really poor people in desperate circumstances, and you just kept praying, and nothing kept happening. And you kept reading your Bible and you like you would find inconsistencies and stuff that didn't make sense. And, you know, so, so I guess what happened to me was is that I slowly lost faith in the narrative, the values I was still all into. I still wanted to build community and fight for justice and love poor people and build relationships. Um, but I gradually became unable to believe in a supernatural God that does anything. Yeah, um, so
0: I went through a very similar journey, and I how old was, were you? How old were you? I was 22 when I gave up religion, okay, um, yeah. and so, but it was it's just more condensed than your story. I, I took an introduction to Islam class at, at Penn, where I was an undergrad. This wonderful Irish professor who taught all the positive things in the Quran, kind of like a preacher does, you know, focusing on the things that he wants you to look at in the Bible. But then I went on my own and started reading the Quran more, and I was like. Wait a minute, that doesn't make sense and neither does that. And so then I picked up the Bible and I'm like, no, that doesn't make sense and neither does that. But I had this moment where finally it was the last straw that broke the camel's back. It was the story of Tower of of Babel. And where I was like, well, if God is so jealous of us working together and doing something productive that he destroys the thing that we built together as humanity and makes us work against each other and fight for the rest of time, he's kind of a bad guy. Uh, even if it's true, I don't wanna be on his side. And so did you and have a moment like that, any kind of last straw?
2: Well, I had lots of moments like that. But the, the difference is I was hugely motivated to stay in the tribe, to stay in the community. I mean, first of all, it was my job. But more than anything, it was my community, it was all my friendships, it was my parents, it was my, 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 my marriage, everything. And so for me, the thought of leaving Christianity was really scary. And so you you just keep changing your theology to try to accommodate the realities around you. Um, For me, I mean, ultimately, the last straw was I was in a bicycle crash where I almost died, and I had a head injury. And when I recovered from my brain injury, it was really clear to me that, A, I was going to die someday, and B, that when I died and my brain broke down, I wouldn't exist anymore. And I remember saying to my wife, I think this is all we get this life. And she said, uh-huh. yeah, me too. I think yep. you better stop being a professional Christian.
0: <laughs> I totally agree. I At once I, I found non-God, <laughs> I kept saying to people, this is the one life we have. You gotta live it. Don't wait for something else. You gotta live it right now.
2: And that, that was the thing. Like, so many of the people that I, I counsel, people all over the world that have gone through these transitions, that are, they're, and they're, and so many of them are like trying to find meaning, or they're devastated, or they—they're like, "What's the point of living anymore?" That never happened to me. I mean, as soon as I realized this was it, I was like, "Oh my gosh, how do we make the most of it?" Yeah. And not surprisingly, you know, I mean, like I studied some data, I read the Harvard study, I I, I talked to some psychologists, I was like. It feels like the people that register the highest level of satisfaction with their lives are always people that have built loving relationships and have done work that makes things better for other people and that have cultivated a sense of gratitude. And I thought like, okay, then that's what I want to do. Yeah, you know? 100%. And so so I mean what's funny is look at you. Look at you. Like you may have left Islam, but the values of hey, I want to have a family. Hey, I want to make the world a better place. Hey, I want to I want to connect, I want to work closely with my friends like it's all the same,
0: yeah, no, no, I, I couldn't agree more on on all those counts I, I, leaving religion was greatly liberating to me. I didn't have to worry yeah. about some dude watching over my shoulder all the time judging, judging. it's a fantasy it's it's not true it's uh,
2: dignifying, it's dignifying too, like all yeah. of a sudden you're you're not a pawn in somebody else's game, but like you're literally responsible for your own life
0: absolutely, and you're absolutely right, too. I don't know why more people don't try to do good in the world because it actually is the best way to get to happiness. So if you actually want to get the most out of life, you shouldn't be a jerk. You should actually be really kind to other people because that works better. <laughs> just not yeah, you, know, you know, it's
2: funny when you were at Penn. I don't know if you ever encountered Martin Sigelman, the, the founder of positive psychology. Yes, there, but that yes. was his whole thing. He was like, "Listen, I, you know, I, what I'm telling you is the, the this love is the way." You know, relationships are the way. I mean, all this depression and anxiety that we're seeing today—so much of it is just about people being disconnected from other people.
0: Yeah, it's in our and DNA. It's, it's in our—we're social a, animals, so
2: they def- literally evolved for connection.
0: Hundred percent. That's why it's so gratifying when you do. it. Uh, we're running out of time, so I got to ask you about two quick things. So, uh, you were the first ever humanist chaplain at University of South Carolina, uh, S- so, South Cal- California, California. Uh, yeah. USC. And uh, now you're at University of Cincinnati doing the same thing. What is a humanist chaplain? What does that mean?
2: You know, I mean, it's funny what you were just talking about. Like we're wired for connection. People thought, think when you walk onto a campus like like those places as a, as a secular humanist that you're going to like debate Christians and try to convince everybody not to believe in God. If people are doing well believing in God, bless them, leave them alone. There's all these secular kids on the campus. And my job is to say to them, hey, if this life really is the only one you have, do you really want to just spend it making rich people richer and playing video games? Or, or wouldn't you want to do something more meaningful? Wouldn't you, wouldn't you want to do something that really causes you to be alive and to be fulfilled and to be excited and be connected? And so my job is to sort of evangelize kids to meaning. If that makes any sense.
0: It does, it makes a ton of sense. It's kind of uh, what I do with my kids, I, I try to constantly teach them that uh, that life isn't just about joy and happiness. Those are wonderful things and I want you to try to achieve those, but it's also about fulfillment. And that fulfillment is actually uh, th- the best feeling you could possibly have.
2: And the thing is, if your kids adopt those values, what they're gonna find is it's just like adopting values of exercise or or, 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 or losing weight. like. You're not gonna do very, or or trying to stop drinking. You're not gonna do very well unless you do it in in the context of a community. That we are a tribal animal and we do better when we pursue goodness together. And so that's the other part of my job is to try to build a community, almost like a church for people who don't believe in God. Yeah. So that people can support each other and, and inspire each other right and, and and help each other to live out these values that just makes so much sense
0: yeah it, totally uh, one last thing your podcast is called humanize me what do you do on the podcast
2: you know i talk to scientists i talk to activists i talk to artists i talk to all kinds of experts and i'm always trying to ask them the same things like how can what you're learning in your work help me to build better relationships and to make things better for other people and to be grateful for like the wonders of human consciousness. Like what are you learning over there that can help me live out these values? And so it ends up being like, an there's this amazing community of people that are sort of all over the world sort of going like, hey, that's, I don't want to get in that new atheist conversation where it's all about like religion poisons everything. Let's make fun of the Christians. They're like, okay, so we don't believe in God. What next? How do we, how do, how do we live this thing out? And so that, so it's all about like me asking other people to humanize me, me asking other people to help me grow into a more fully actualized version of the kind of person I'm trying to be.
0: All right, sounds wonderful. Thank you for joining us, Bart. Really appreciate
2: it. Hey, thanks for talking to me and 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 thanks for the work that you're doing out there in the world, man. It makes a difference.
0: I appreciate that too, brother. All right, brother. I'll uh, see you later. Yep. Uh, okay, guys. Uh is next. Uh, tomorrow, remember, 3 p.m. Eastern is uh, when we start, tyt.com. Uh, We're gonna have a lot of fun games and some great information too, don't miss that. Uh, But when we come back, Ro Khanna explains progressives versus Democratic leadership. Really interesting stuff, Uh, do that when we return.